fun lawyer show. We just started a superhuman law division, and I want you to be the face of it. Lawyer show. Imagine running a superhuman law division of a law firm. That's exactly what we're going to talk about here, and we're going to start off the series by reviewing the new She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, on Disney+. Plus. So let's dive into Episode 8, Ribbit and Rip It. I'm Greg Lambert, and this week I reached out to local Los Angeles counsel, lawyer Ashley Carlisle, who is the head of marketing at Hyperdraft. Ashley, thanks for stepping in for Joshua, who couldn't make it in this week. Very happy to have you here. So... Before we get into this episode, what do you think of the series so far? I'm really excited to chat with you today because, you know, this episode really led me to start liking the series more, if I'm being honest. I think Mm -hmm. Daredevil helped a lot of things, and it helped me kind of appreciate a lot of the Easter eggs that have been throughout the series. I'm not going to lie. At the beginning, I was kind of like, where is this going? I'm not quite sure if I'm into it, especially with the origin story at the beginning. I was like, is this necessary? What is her character? Are we going to like her? Is this going to be all about being like a girl and, you know, a lot of random comments about how hard it is to be a woman, which are all true. But, you know, this I came for a lawyer show that has a lot of, you know, action comics. So I'm very happy that kind of in this episode, there's the law, there's action, there's Daredevil. It kind of has it all. Um, I would say that also in this episode, I kind of started noticing some of the little details that I had missed earlier. And so I went back and I didn't realize how many cool Easter eggs there are throughout this series. Like there's the Allie McBeal references um, in the Legalese Bar, which is just a great name. Um, I think there's some Ruth Bader Ginsburg references as well, just with the set pieces. So I'm definitely excited for the next episode to see how they're going to end us off because I just think the details are coming together. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know if you noticed, but actually, I think it may have been in episode one or two uh, w- when they first introduced Legalese. Ally McBeal, the show, is actually playing on the TV behind them as they're, as they're talking. So Yes. Uh, and yeah. I, I'm a big fan of Ally McBeal. I know people are going to say various things about it. It is absolutely an insane romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have the Woogachuka little guy that's like, Lizzie McGuire style on the TV screen. It's crazy, but it really was like a young, cool attorney. So it makes sense that there's parallels because, you know, she is a younger attorney. She Mm -hmm. is living her life. She is dating. So I definitely like, and, you know, there's a romantic comedy to this too, which Marvel rarely does. So I do like the commonalities between the two and I'm glad they're kind of embracing that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I, I do like the fact that this is a, as they say, lawyer show. And uh, we we get uh, you know this the combination of action, but also the the legal part as well. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this podcast. So yeah, uh, <laughs> you got to judge their legal realism. You got to <laughs> issue spot. Uh, so we're going to cover the penultimate uh, episode here in season one, and really kind of breaks down into I think about four different scenes that we see. So we have uh, Leapfrog's case uh, at first, then we have a short scene with uh, with the uh, slimy Todd Phelps, uh, client of GLK and H. Uh, we get a little bit more Leapfrog action with a with a really cool cameo and then we get the gala at at the end so let's start off with the leapfrog case just to set kind of the the facts here we have 
the scene open with Leapfrog as calling himself the guard frog as he is, uh, I guess, has taken it upon himself to protect this electronic store that's it's being robbed. Um, he gets into a fight with a couple of the guys, and then he uh, says his magic catchphrase of ribbit and rip it. Which and, I think is the best. Yeah. Like, I love how they're using it throughout the episode. I, even though he's horrible, I want to adopt it for myself as well. It's such yeah. like a pump-up jam. I feel like it could be a rap song. I, I love the fact that, uh, that even Holloway... Was using, uh, it. Was, was using it as well. So he goes to, to launch and use a suit. His suit comes crashing down when his uh, apparently jetpack around his feet uh, fails. And he crashes and has third degree burns around his legs. And, of course, is wanting to uh, sue for, for damages. So what were your thoughts about uh, the interaction with uh, with She-Hulk, Jen Walters? Yeah, I think it was interesting they just jumped right into the law on this episode because, you know, in others, sometimes it's been in the end or it's just like a blip. Mm-hmm. Um, first and foremost, I will point out, it's very obvious that she does not like this client. Uh, and I think that happens a lot. And I think lawyers, you know, most of the time we don't have to meet our clients in person, especially, you know, in the age of COVID and post-COVID. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it is hard when you really don't like the person to have to be professional and turn it on. I don't know if she was really trying that hard, but it, I thought it was a funny kind of commentary of things that happen in real life. There are a couple of things that very Hollywood about kind of this consultation. I don't know if you noticed, but like her screen was pointed towards the camera and you mm. could see like a pleading she was working on. And I was just so confused because I was like, I guess you would be reviewing your document with your client, but like, I don't see you asking him questions. And as we find out in the hearing later, like she really didn't ask him questions about his claims. So it's like, why is the screen out? Like mm. 101, like, confidential documents you like lock your screen you put them away it's just like a thing you're taught to do um also you know just the lack of asking questions i think she wanted to get them out as quickly as possible but as we find out when she goes to court later on she didn't really have even the basics covered of like the claim um you know with products liability it's pretty simple in regards to the fact that it has to be reasonable use and you have to follow instructions and obviously there were some issues there Um, but I think the main thing, and I am not very familiar with leapfrog, but I did a little bit of research and it seems like him and his dad, who is also a client at the firm in the Mm -hmm. comics, um, are kind of this larger than life character who like think they're superhero and they kind of just are horrible, which, you know, is showcased here. You try to be Tony Stark, but money can't buy you everything. (laughs) So, um, I also think it's an interesting thing with, you know, her being stuck with this big client's kid, which I've never had to personally deal with, but you always hear the stories. And, you know, I think client service at the end of the day, um, you have to have a book of business. You have to keep people happy, especially when you're doing work for bigger clients. And so kind of having that dynamic, I thought was very interesting, too, because she was kind of just dealt to deal with this person. Yeah, I think one of the things that... uh, I know at least most of the firms that I know of, um, while some of some of us will, will meet with clients in our office, most of the time we will take them into a conference room and talk to them just because there's less distractions there. You don't have your screen and your email popping up. I guess you still have your your cell phone. So uh, but I think it's been consistent throughout the whole show. 
Jen's not a very good interviewer of clients, of, of getting information out of them. And there's there's so much information that pops up at trial, which, again, uh, we, we've kind of said in, in the Marvel 616 uh, uh, universe, um, you have to have the trial start and end within 23 minutes or, or however long you've got uh, in, in the episode. And, and so I think, again, yeah, there was a lot of kind of rushing this through and not getting good information from from her client. Um, we also run into the famous uh, conflicts process again at, at law firms, which uh, happens a lot. Uh, I know I'm I'm over the conflicts team at my firm, and so you know we have a complete staff dedicated to it. Plus, all the attorneys have to clear. Uh, conflicts. So it, it's one of those things that happens, but uh, seems to happen a lot with, with Jen. Um, it really and, does. Yeah. Every case. Yeah. And this one's a little unique in the fact that it's not a conflict with another client. It's actually a ethical conflict that she has because Luke Jacobson, who is her tailor, is also the tailor for Leapfrog and has designed a suit. So she understands immediately that this case is going to go against someone with whom she has a personal relationship with, and you know, and is a customer of his, and uh, and immediately, and I, I think this is right on her part. Yeah, definitely raises this issue, goes to uh, Holloway, and says, "Hey, I understand that this may not be a a conflict that we can't overcome. But ethically, I feel like I can't represent this client because, how did she say, with her unique physique, that, <laughs> uh, you know, that she would really hate to lose her tailor over this. And Holloway, again, I guess this is the one thing that the writers on the show learned about with uh, with legal, and that was the, the issue of conflict waivers and that a client – as long as they are well aware of what is going on and what what the potential conflict is, that they can actually sign a waiver and say, I understand this conflict issue. I am going to go ahead and allow my attorney to uh, represent me, even though there may be this conflict. And of course, the attorney has to do everything they can to reduce anything with, with that conflict. Yeah, she does have a conflicts issue. Well, I say, I agree with you that she did handle it in the moment, which I guess cut short her interview, which did not help her interviewing skills, but she did directly go to the managing partner. She followed the California rules. One thing I will say is I haven't had to do many waivers. I think maybe two. They were not as quick as these. These seem to just happen magically. You know, he's like, oh, they have already agreed. They somehow already know this is an issue, even though you're bringing it to me in this moment. Typically in the real world, in my experience, that takes a week or two even just to get the person like, hey, Knock, mm -hmm. knock, like, please even give me the time of day to explain this, send your e-signature back. So that's a little fanciful in this. Yeah, um, I, I think the conflict here, though, would be the client would have to sign off on it, not the opposing party. Right. And, but and that so, brings, no, but typically, I don't know. My clients in the past, you know, sometimes they're on yachts, sometimes they're at conferences. I had yeah. one in Pakistani airspace sometimes. Getting signatures can be harder <laughs> than you yeah. can think. Um, 
But yeah, so I think she did handle it correctly. I think she followed the California rule, which is you obviously have to disclose it, written consent, what have you. I think it is interesting in the fact that we are seeing that the superhero world is super insular. And so she is, she kind of knows a lot of the major players just because it's kind of a small little club. So, you know, the typical conflicts check is just current clients, former clients, what have you. It sounds like maybe they may need to widen it for her, just make a list of everyone that's kind of superhero adjacent that she has some type of personal relationship with in the future, because mm -hmm. it seems like this is going to keep happening. Another thing that I just, and I don't know if you guys have talked about this, but um, I was bothered a few episodes ago with like the, you have to be She-Hulk at work thing. Oh, yeah. Just because that just seems like an employment issue to me. Like you have, that's basically being like, okay, I'm going to treat every other attorney this way, but we expect you to act this way. And then her identity has been revealed. So the firm doesn't even have a good argument. Like Jennifer Walters and She-Hulk are publicly known to be the same person. So you can't even make the argument that she has to be in a different form for it to be known that she's a superhero. So that has bothered me throughout that, like, I'm not a big fan of Holloway. He's one of my, I think, might be bad guys, like, in my head mm -hmm. that I'm like, this might be him in the end. Um, but this also, when he, she had this conversation of, like, because of my unique physique, I need to be on good terms with the designer. It also just made me mad for her of, like, well, if they didn't make you be She-Hulk everywhere, you wouldn't have to have <laughs> this problem. Like, if they just let you be Jennifer Walters at work, you wouldn't have to, like, find these outfits that are expandable for you and still look fashionable. Well, really, yeah. her personal assistant wouldn't have to go exactly. and get all these outfits for her. Sorry. Personal assistant, uh, paralegal, stylist. secretary, stylist, uh, makeup Publicist. designer. <laughs> Publicist. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, Nikki, uh, the, the paralegal, does everything. So it's uh, she, she is a, a dream employee, I guess. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Uh, the the fact, and in fact, it's it's kind of brought up again here because Holloway again says Eugene, who is Leapfrog, is very excited to have a She-Hulk on the uh, case. You know, on the case, and so you know, it's this. Uh, and, and again, I I, I want to bring you back next week to to talk more about the the marketing thing. But really, the only reason that Jennifer Walters is the head of the Superhuman Law Division is because she's the She-Hulk. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and I think that's made clear right up front. Um, and I think she she kind of found herself, and again, even with this, she could not take the case, but I think it was implied if she doesn't take the case, she's not going to be working at GOK&H. She didn't really negotiate herself a good deal at the she start, accepting immediately at the bar. So yeah, yeah, not a yeah, lot of leverage here. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of good contracts that are made uh, at, at the bar. So <laughs> that sounds right. I don't have any evidence to that, but yeah. So Holloway actually gives her a suggestion, which I think is is legit because most cases do not go to court. Mm -hmm. Most cases are settled out of court. And so his idea is, Jen, go talk to Luke and see if you can make this thing go away. And And she does. And man, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. And this is me being persnickety. I know in the real world, you know, things happen. And also a case technically hasn't been filed yet. But like, where was the line where she's like, oh, by the way, you probably should get a lawyer and you should let me know if you already have one who I should contact. Like, I was just waiting. I was like, mm -hmm. they knew what a conflicts waiver was like, someone please put that line in there somewhere. So people don't think it's normal for like the opposing sides lawyer just come up to you and start talking because yeah. that's, that's not good. 
Not no. kosher in most cases. No, and um, that's that's happened quite a bit over quite the, a bit. You know, over the eight episodes that that we've had, it's probably happened at least eight times where they've talked with the opposing uh, party without uh, counsel. Party without counsel. So <laughs> not great. No, no. Should always ask or encourage. <laughs> Absolutely. Make clear yeah. that you are not their attorney, that you are opposing, all the good things. Well, especially since she had ongoing work with him with the, the dress for the gala that, that he's making, which he assumes that's why she's there in there. the first place. Yeah. And so, yeah, a good He a hasn't good been lawyer. served yet. He right. doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Yes. The whole thing, I cringed the whole time. <laughs> I was like, please, someone say it. Someone. Yeah. Or yeah. even just a subtitle. Just something. Uh, yeah. And and I, I don't think uh, Jen had any uh, legal recourse when he decided that he was not going to make her a gala dress after she came in and kind of blindsided him with a uh, uh, with talk of, of a lawsuit. And then uh, uh, and then that's exactly what she says. Well, in that case, I'll see you in court. Yeah. yeah not good. Not good. I find that most people who aren't lawyers, even lawyers, you mention lawsuit, you're immediately losing a friend. Like that just mm-hmm. doesn't that doesn't go over well. <laughs> I think she learned that lesson. Never joke about it uh, when you talk about it. Stuff's yeah. going to happen. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, uh, as what happens in the, uh, in, at least in this universe, we immediately go to court somehow immediately. or another. We, we the courts seem to be you know wide open and you get the same judge every time. Same judge, that, which in L.A. it's random assignment and wasn't the first wasn't the first. I could be wrong. The first matter was criminal, right? So right. criminal and civil all being in front of the same. He seems like a nice judge. Seems great. Yeah, seems like the, the it's out of order. The rules a bit with how the you know the talking goes. But like, what are the chances of that? Also, yeah. that looks way nicer than the L.A. courtrooms that I have seen. <laughs> I'm not a litigator. I have had to go for jury duty in some things. Um, this is yeah. way. This is an upgrade compared to Stanley Mosque or any of the other courtrooms in the L.A. area, from what I've seen. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they wanted that kind of realism in, in the courts. <laughs> so, but because we do get to go to court, we get the the cameo that we've all been waiting for, and that is well. In fact, let me let me back up before I'll. I'll let that cliffhanger hang out there a little bit longer. The judge sees Jacobson uh, sitting at the table without counsel with him and immediately says, you know, are you representing yourself? Where's your counsel? Uh, Jen, unfortunately, kind of puts her foot in her mouth and saying, oh, great, he's not represented. Get ready to, you know, get ready to count your money, which does not go well. And then we get, ta-da, Matt Murdock walks in. So what what did you think of Matt coming in? One, before even Matt walked in, I was very relieved that we were not going to have a weird pro se scene because even in real life, those are a train wreck. So I was worried that we were going to have some type of fanciful, weird battle in the courtroom. So happy that didn't happen. He walks in. I don't think any of us are surprised because we've seen the tease, but I was very excited. Yeah. Um, and I feel like just from my knowledge of the character, he has a lot of swagger always. He's always kind of with that debonair voice, and that does not disappoint. My favorite thing is he comes in, and without, you know, and, you know, different courts have different rules, but there's, you know, civil procedure and structure. The judge does not call anything to order. For some reason, he talks first. He just starts questioning everyone, really. Uh, The whole thing was, I mean, it was super entertaining, but looking back on it, I'm like, 
wait, what's happening? Like, you just go ahead and reject discovery, which that whole conversation, there's some legal realism, some not. Like, confidentiality Mm -hmm. is a valid objection in California. Typically, it's balanced by a judge. They did do some research there. So, you know, they get a gold star for that. But the out of order, the client talking and the, the attorney not saying, hey, please don't do that, or the judge saying, hey, I could hold you in contempt. Like, don't talk out of turn. And then somehow by the end of it, and sorry to jump ahead, but this is just incredulous to me, Matt Murdock somehow questions the plaintiff being like, just asking questions. He's not on the stand. He's not a witness. You're not in a deposition. And he answers. The plaintiff just answers willingly. And there's no like objection. There's no stopping. It it was wild. It was entertaining. But I'm just like, this doesn't happen. If people think this happens in real life, they're going to be very disappointed. Yeah. Like, but it is way more inefficient than this. The the show itself, uh, there's so much crosstalk you know, from not from the the witness stand, but actually at you know at the counsel's table, and it's just uh, yeah, it's it's insane. Again, it kind of speeds things along, but not very realistic. Um, there was one thing that was mentioned in passing ah. when Matt Murdock was talking about why he wanted the dismissal of discovery, mm-hmm. was that the Sokovia Accords had been repealed. And apparently this is the first time that there's been mention of the Sokovia Accords being repealed. And for those that that didn't know, this was an international UN agreement signed by 119 countries, including the United States, that regulated all superpowered individuals. And uh, it moved the Avengers away from being a private organization run basically by Tony Stark to being run by the U.S. government and its nefarious agencies uh, in there. And then that was also the reason for the split in the Civil War movies from Iron Man taking one side to, to back the Sokovia Accords and Captain America backing the side to fight the Sokovia Accords and, and protect the superhuman-powered individuals from being regulated by governments. And so it's really, really interesting in that, and I think that, that you're probably going to see that being talked about more as we get into to other shows. But, uh, um, you know, so now the superhumans are no longer regulated by the Sokovia Accords. So in- interesting yeah, I would love your take on it because you're more in the MCU and you just have a deep knowledge of, you know, comics generally. But I saw it and I was like, okay, MCU plot device. This came out of nowhere. And I also had to like remind myself that this show happens like slightly in the future mm-hmm. to where we are now. Like I think it's 2024, 2025. Because I was like, the whole thing was very confusing. There's so many Marvel movies that sometimes it's hard to line up yeah. the timelines. But I definitely had to Google and be like, wait, what year are we in? And also you're just going <laughs> to rarely like just weirdly throw out like oh it's been repealed like okay it was tangentially related to the confidentiality concerns but I will say like also if we're being real here which I don't even I don't know if I want to open this can of worms but I'll (laughs) slightly get into it there's no way ever that that document would have been constitutional or binding in the U.S. anyways. The whole thing the whole premise of it even in other movies was so confusing to me because I was like one I mean, just going back to con law, I could be missing something, but like, it's not a formal treaty. Treaties have to be like, what is it? Two thirds of the Senate have to agree that's a treaty. Like that never happened to my knowledge in the movies. 
also, even with this, like, running these people to be punished in regards to this accord, like, you still have to have right to counsel. There's still things even war criminals have where it's just mm-hmm. like, wait, this isn't represented. And then would equal protection, like, does that apply here at all? There's so many things that I was like, okay, so you're going to bring up this random MCU plot device in a courtroom, which is going to lead all these other legal questions about this in the first place. But we're not going to dive into that because that is just like not helping the storyline. We're just going right. to throw it out there, move on to the next thing. It'll probably be a thing in Captain America or Wakanda or what other, whatever <laughs> films are happening in the next year in the MCU universe. Right. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. And at first I was like, how is this related? And then I was like, I guess it's tangentially related. And I like Daredevil, so I'll just let him have it. But definitely going out there on a limb. And you're right. That would be a whole separate we, – we could do a, a multi-episode uh, podcast on just the Sokovia Accords and, and the legality of that. So, But uh, it does lead to that part where you were talking about the, the crosstalk across <laughs> the council's tables and with Leapfrog pulling out his suit and uh, Matt Murdock apparently not caring if people might notice that he used his sniffer to determine that he'd used jet fuel. Also preservation of evidence. Yeah. <laughs> just so many things. Just happens to have it. Yeah, just here, just show up to with your suit here at, you know, basically I think, you know, it's a, a, a pretrial hearing. Yeah, so uh, again, you get that crosstalk. Uh, Eugene admits that he had put in jet fuel, which was against the the uh, the instructions. Yeah, of manufacturer's the instructions. Yeah, and in true MCU She-Hulk universe legal <laughs> thing, the case immediately gets dismissed right on the and spot. And the judge decides without motion, like. Typically, right, at least Daredevil would be like, you know, motion for summary judgment. This is ridiculous. Like, they just threw away their case. The judge just decides to have his moment and just, like, interjects, like, this is dismissed. Like, what? (laughs) He seems like a nice guy once again, but, like, I was just like, what is happening here? Well, maybe maybe the shapeshifter is is still pretending to be the judge. So that's... (laughs) Perhaps. That character went and came so soon. She could have wrecked a lot more havoc. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that one. Yeah, I don't know that we're we're done with her in She-Hulk. So case is tossed. We'll just let that lie where it is and, and just kind of grin and bear it. And then Jen and Matt uh, meet up at, well, coincidentally, meet back up at the legalese bar where Matt comes over and, and uh, talks about his law practice. But I do have to notice that it's very vague, other than the fact that he has a law practice in Hell's Kitchen. There's no mention of Foggy Nelson. There's no mention of Karen Page. There's mm-hmm. no mention of any of the uh, of the characters that we grew to like and love in in the uh, the Netflix version of Daredevil. So, not sure where that's going to go. But uh, he does talk about this interesting thing about doing one for them so that we can do one for us. And and so he talks about his practice being mostly pro bono practice, which unless you're independently wealthy or have a benefactor, that's not not really a good practice to have. Right. Unless, you know, maybe the, the one, the cases that he d- does for rich clients – pays really well so that that he can do these other things and I, I know you hear that a lot with with acting um uh you know people do one for them one for me the movies yeah 
does a big blockbuster so they can do an art film, that sort of thing. So, uh, but he does have a, you know, kind of a really interesting suggestion. I don't know if it's good or bad or whatnot, but interesting where he applies that to how Jennifer Walters practices and lives. And he says that, you know, that Jennifer Walters can help society or people when society fails them and the She-Hulk can help when the law fails them. And so we get into, I, I mean, it's kind of a hint. I guess you could do it without being a vigilante, but the way he does it is vigilanteism. Right. So, so trying to get someone else to take his approach. Um, yeah. I thought that was a really cool line, one for them, one for me. I wish that was how it was in legal practice. Maybe some people have that approach, but that's typically not how it goes. Um, yeah, it's usually 100 for them, <laughs> you know, one for me. <laughs> or I try to hit my 20 to, depending on the firm's policy, 20 to 50 hours a year of pro bono, which is right. still good and we should be doing more. But um, yeah, I thought it was interesting he didn't mention the other named attorneys of his practice. I wasn't sure because I'm not as much of an expert as you if maybe it was a timeline thing, like we're ahead of where Daredevil left off and some stuff had happened or something like that. But I did think that was interesting. Um, and then also, I think this is just obviously leading up to, I don't know if it's going to be building guilt in She-Hulk, but something of her wondering, like, why am I working for Holloway and all of these people that I don't necessarily like right. when, you know, this cute guy who's very suave, like, gets to live this lifestyle. And, mm -hmm. it, you know, so I think it's an interesting progression right before the finale. Yeah. Yeah. So... Matt Murdock gets a phone call, Jen gets a text, and so, you know, they. Uh, even though you could kind of tell there's some chemistry there, life as a lawyer and superhuman apparently uh, pulls them apart at this time, and uh, Jen gets a text from slimy Todd Phelps. He's the uh, worst. He, he is the worst. The creepiest so, client. Yeah, and, and so it's a text that says, hey... I've got a legal issue. I want you to meet me for dinner. Kind of weird. And, and when and, she doesn't reply immediately, the double text being, I was told that this is a 24-7 practice. I'll tell your boss if it's not. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness I've never encountered that in real life. But um, also, and I know people have varying opinions on this, texting clients just sounds like a huge boundary breach for me. You know, yeah. I know some people do it in their practice or they do it through like an independent, they have another number just for texting clients updates or whatever. But especially with a creepy client like this guy, I would mm -hmm. not advise anyone have any text messaging going on unless it was absolutely necessary. Yeah. And Todd tells her that he has bought uh, uh, the Wakandan War Spear, which oh my gives him possession of vibranium. Which was his kind of, you know, kind of creepy thing. About, yes. It made you wonder about, is he trying to create a needle to take the blood from Jen she while Hulk. she's in She-Hulk form? So Yeah. And then, of course, you know, it's not just that issue because he's telling us, so look, the, you know, there's an issue because apparently the nation of Wakanda wants, wants this back because apparently it was stolen by some colonialist or something like that. And not, But I've got the receipts that I own this and then of course as probably happens more than we'd want to admit you're at dinner the client all of a sudden then turns it and starts hitting on Jen <laughs> so uh, of which she you know rebuts and and gets out of there and I laugh because she turns to him and says by the way I'm billing you for the whole hour and yes, I, I do not blame her and so I thought 
that was a, a good retort for that. But again, don't put yourself in bad positions. So <laughs> well, also don't be a creep. I, I also think Todd is I have three people in the running for the big bad. I also think he's up there with me. Holloway, Todd, and we'll get to my yeah. last one as we go on. But um, yeah, he's problematic more so with every breath he takes, like mm-hmm. even just trying to do the hand symbol and saying he studied abroad there, like not like they must have had so much fun writing that character and all the garbage that comes out of his mouth. Cause right. every single word I was like, this kid just wants to be punched in the face. Like, who is this person? Yep. This is awful. I do think it was a fun, you know, for looking at it from a legal issue, um, antiquities theft, kind of looting how that's become more of an issue in the last decade. I mean, yeah. even, you know, like even major... in the last few weeks. It's become, yeah. I mean, it just yeah. continues because who knows how much of this has happened. It's hard to actually prove when and where someone looted these artifacts that could be that could have been like years ago centuries ago i mean so much has happened it's really hard to get the evidentiary support for that but you know from like museums like here in los angeles like the getty villa and some of the getty's artifacts like a significant amount of them had to be returned um you know i think kim kardashian somehow was caught up in that (laughs) antique thing as well where she had to return like five or so um italian artifacts that were looted just but I think at the end of the day, which she didn't get into because she wanted to get out of Dodge and not deal with him hitting on her and whatnot, as long as he didn't know that it was stolen, obviously mm-hmm. he'll have to return it and he could probably sue them for some restitution or whatever damages were caused. But I just thought it was so random. Did you get the Black Panther connection in that? I just thought it was like, why? Is it because they have a new movie coming out? Is it because it's going to be tied into another? I thought it was such a random I think, it could be artifact from anywhere. I, I think it was to show that Todd had vibranium. And okay. That, because so the he, She-Hulk injection. Yeah, because if you remember on their on their blind date or on their date with the dating app, he asked, "Is she? You know, is her skin impenetrable?" Right. And, and then Super he specifically creepy. says, "Even with vibranium." <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I think this is to show that. He has vibranium in in his possession, Uh, whether it's uh, legally or illegal. I think that's the only reason that that we had the scene was to also make you wonder, is he the big bad or is somebody else the big bad? Is he just a a goof or or is he evil Uh, or both? Probably both. (laughs) He's probably both. At this Uh, point. But we find out why Daredevil left Jen at the bar because as soon as Jen gets back, she gets a call from Leapfrog, and we get some more Leapfrog action. And he calls her saying that he's being basically chased and assaulted. Uh, doesn't say by whom, but uh, somehow or another, I don't know why Jen was able to look at her phone and know exactly where he was. Well, I think the joke was he had made it like a public place to look up. Oh, okay. And then the neon sign, that's what I thought, is like he had geo-tagged it. Like he was that big of an idiot that he was like, come find me at the lily pad. Yeah. You know, like the sign was huge. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and we do get to see the super suit, which I, I thought was great. Uh, so she, she suits up, goes out finds Eugene being basically going up to the parking garage of his, uh, I think his secret, not so secret lair. And then we see Daredevil is the one who's attacking him. And of course, Jen goes into action uh, to protect her client. Little Again, a little iffy, but if you're, I guess, yeah. a superhuman, uh, you, want, you want to protect your client. And this is the part where 
I mean, we've she's always been a little destructive. Uh, a little. Uh, and what is property damage? Yeah. <laughs> Does she and, know? But man, she goes way over the top in in damaging, you know, cars, uh, the parking garage. She punches a hole through. Jumps the, through the, rooftops of warehouses. Yeah, it's uh, and so, um, but I, I I do think it's funny because they get into a, a battle between her and and Daredevil. Uh, leapfrog leaves and goes to his lair, but again, she she destroys the roof of the parking garage. She destroys multiple cars. She throws what I think was probably about an eighty thousand dollar car. Yes, across. And then when they're done, when they kind of figure this figure this thing out, she goes, "Oh, well, let me leave a note." <laughs> I don't know that I would leave a note. <laughs> I thought that was cute. I yeah. you see the Jen Walters in there, but. Yeah, that's just nonsensical. I mean, I think it's just making fun of the fact that, like, they haven't explained why she's just okay with, like, destroy. I mean, how many episodes in a row? Like, if you were to... T- I'm sure some insurance blog somewhere is totaling the property damage <laughs> um, and kind of what claims could be asserted, but yeah. there is a lot of damage. Also, physically injuring, and who knows what else, your client's security, whether they be goons or not. That was interesting mm-hmm. as well. I was like, yeah. okay. Just gonna yeah. go for well, it. Well, let's let's get into that because it turns out that the reason that Daredevil is attacking Leapfrog is because he has kidnapped Luke Jacobson, the tailor. And here's another thing that that almost never happens: she quickly unmasks Daredevil. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, dude, put up a fight. You know, I was like, that that just never happens to where they get to unmask that quickly. So she finds out it's uh, her opposing counsel, um, Matt and Murdock. And new crush. And new crush, which I think everyone had a crush on, on Matt as he showed up here. So they work out the situation, understand that uh, Jacobson's been kidnapped and being held at the secret, not so secret, lily pad. And they decide to team up and go rescue Luke Jacobson. Do you want to take us through that little part and what, what issues you <laughs> so yeah. may have had well, with that? Well, one thing I will say, Leapfrog seems so annoying, but his lair is pretty cool, whether it be public or not. And there are a couple things in there. Like, did you notice he had um, basically his equivalent of a bat signal? That was like yes. a Leapfrog signal. That mm-hmm. made me chuckle. And then he had the Frogger machines. He had like wired lily pads in there. I mean, he really invested a lot of time and effort into this image. He might have defective, you know, wares in regards to the suits and have no ability, but he really invested into oh, this yeah. image of himself. There's there's lots of daddy's money in there. Oh, oh, definitely. <laughs> um, the thing that I found interesting, okay, so her client just says, I'm in trouble. She gets this other intel from Daredevil. She just follows him, causes a lot of damage, gets in there, Before she talks to her client, she sees that the designer is tied up and just immediately goes and unties him and tells him to contact the authorities. While this is a good idea, you know, ethically do the right thing, in reality, you'd probably be like, hey, what's going on here, client? Also, like, I assume I'm representing you here, too. Like, I I do your other work, but I'm sure this is, I'm here. We're going to figure it out later. Okay. Can you please untie this gentleman? Come to some sort of resolution. See if we need to pay him off. And let's, like, move on with our day. The fact that she was having him call the cops, I was very confused. I was like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's the superhero She-Hulk thing to do. But, like, this is your client. 
Yeah. I'm well, so she, confused. She she did give him some advice on you know stopping, yes. ma- not making it worse. Um, I did I did find it funny that uh, Daredevil also threw in his suggestion on on how he would approach the the legal issues there. I think <laughs> earlier at the bar, Daredevil showed how you should approach attorney client privilege. He took his phone call. He went to the side. He mm-hmm. disappeared. Versus she did it publicly waiving privilege, we would probably say. And then somehow opposing counsel was giving their two cents, being like, hey, yo, I heard you say that. Like, you realize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a mess all the way around. Yeah, Jen could use a little mentorship on how to handle these types of situations. So uh, hopefully Matt will show back up and can advise her. Maybe they can start their own law firm at, at some oh, point. Oh, I would love that. Uh, I will say I did enjoy that in an, a ribbit and rip it fashion. It ends with Leapfrog jumping out of the window. Remember, the case was dismissed, so there was no resolution to the defective suit. Right. So he just goes without anything and like i guess presumably breaks both legs that's what i figured out from the stretcher just the whole thing was hilarious yeah yeah he leapfrog is is not the uh the the sharpest tool in the shed to to say the least which is hard because i will say the smarter the client the easier the job unless they're mm -hmm. hiding things from you so i feel for her if you have a client who's rude or who hits on you or who's maybe not the quickest it makes your job so much harder Mm-hmm. You're herding cats on top of doing your job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so luckily, at the end of the day, everything turns out okay, I guess. Um, she make amends with the designer. Yeah, and, makes amends. And time with the, for the gala. Yep. And somehow or another, I don't know how he did it, unless he had already designed the dress and had it ready. It was ready the next morning. And (laughs) it was a collab with one of the biggest fashion houses in the world, which the fashion nerd in me was one very shocked at the designer they picked and two like, okay, I see you, She-Hulk, like very fashionable choice. Mm -hmm. Um, So they picked, and I I don't know if anyone cares, but basically it's a very famous, I believe, Lebanese designer who has done red carpet looks for every celebrity for I think the past like 10 to 15 years. I think he oh, really? start, He became famous in 1999. I mean, the Met Gala every year he has a table. Like this is a really big fashion house randomly appearing in She-Hulk. Very random. And then I also thought, you know, the lawyer in me, especially living in LA, what's the product placement deal here? And hmm. I kind of did some research more on the fashion side because I rarely see like these fashion product placements. Normally you see like a beverage or a random Dell computer or something. And what I found was most of the time, you know, it's a license for them to be able to say the name of the product, what have you. Um, However, some of these aren't even done for money. Some of these are just to reduce the production budget. So I don't know if in the finale, she's going to have another fabulous dress that somehow was like given to them for free so that his name could be mentioned. Or if we're going to, if other fashion was used in kind of the production of this, but um, I would love to see if this was a paid product placement or if this was just a quid pro quo, Um, because these dresses are expensive. His gowns typically are like 3K to 10K a pop. It's the Marvel, the cinematic universe. They just print money, except apparently when it comes to CGI budget. So Yeah, sometimes (laughs) they go a little bit rogue on that. Yeah. So when the fight's over, we get the thing we want to see, which is Jen and Matt uh, hooking up. 
<laughs> so right. Everybody's like, yes. And we go back. And then my my all time, this is my favorite little scene in the whole show so far. <laughs> and that's the walk of shame that uh, Daredevil has to do as he's leaving in his suit, holding his shoes, walking away. Um, I, I thought that was just I, I thought that was just funny and and hilarious. So. I love that they have a guy doing the walk of shame, especially in the suit. That's going to be mm-hmm. great for memes and gifts what else going is he gonna forward. Wear? I guess he could have worn one of her shirts. <laughs> as someone who lives in Los Angeles, my question was, my friends that come visit from New York have no idea where they are at any given time. Like, where is he walking to? Also, yeah. like, how is he getting back to his hotel? It was hilarious, but there was some logistics there where I was like, Walking in LA without shoes, just yeah, like was, going around. I was thinking maybe there was an Uber around the corner that he that he was going to go get. So where do they fit their phones in the suit? <laughs> <laughs> one of the, one of the uh, the placed like her pads. suit was very WWE style. Like how oh, does that true. have yeah. any pockets? And then yeah. you know, great question. Maybe we can get some product placement in additional episodes with like an iPhone <laughs> or something showing where uh, the phone fits. Yep. Exactly. That that would be great. Uh, all right. So we get an additional scene, which is the, the gala scene. So first uh, we go back to Jen's apartment after Matt has made his walk of shame. She breaks the fourth wall again. And there's something in there that uh, it's not a legal issue, but I do want to I, I do want to bring it up because it's an issue that happens in comic books a lot. So you hear her go, you know, hey, what's going on? Oh, is this where we've got this uh, additional scene where there's another Hulk, but this time it's it's red? Or am I being fridged? And I had to actually look up what it meant to be fridged. And and apparently it happens a lot in comic books. And in fact, Gail Simone, who's a famous comic book writer, actually had an entire website – dedicated to the topic of being fridged, where she pointed out this is just a a signal of extremely lazy writing on behalf of uh, comic book writers. And so being fridged is a reference to where one character is killed or attacked as a motivator for the main character to come to their rescue. Typically, it's a woman um, I think the the biggest example that was used and why the term being fridged came out was it was, a uh, I think, Green Arrow. Green Lantern. Or Green Lantern. Yeah, maybe yeah. Green Lantern. Um, and where literally his girlfriend was killed and put in a refrigerator. And, the, you know, this was a, this whole thing that, that they needed to kind of take the focus off of the woman put it back on the hero and move move things forward so that he had a motivation to therefore go after the the bad guy. Um, and so I, I thought it was really interesting that they you know that they use that um, one because there's been a lot of talk of introducing Red Hulk into the series. So they kind of played on that. And then also the, you know, is it going to be lazy writing? Are we going to, you know, fridge someone, Nikki or someone in order to motivate uh, uh, She-Hulk into uh, attacking the big bad? So I thought it was interesting. We also had our third Wolverine reference (laughs) in this where uh, Nikki shows up with the somehow, again, the dress is made. 
shows up, uh, holds the uh, the makeup brushes like Wolverine claws. So uh, uh, you know, everyone's really excited to have Wolverine into the MCU. That was iconic, and Nikki just always slays every yeah. scene that she's in. Yeah, I thought the fridge thing was pretty spot on for how the show has gone so far. They've just been very unabashed about the writing and the fact that this is a female written, star directed show, and they're going to just say the things that they probably don't have the opportunity to say in other shows that are just like truths that women know, but sometimes just need to be kind of reminded to everyone else. And I did check out Gail's website, which you shared with me. And I think everyone should. I mean, I just didn't realize how pervasive, I guess, the instances of this fridging are. And then also she had uh, many comic book um, authors and writers respond about kind of if they wrote that storyline, like what they thought about it, their reflections on it years past. And I read through some of them and I found it was very interesting because, as you said, I think the main takeaway was just a lazy writing technique. But another one is just there are not a lot of women in the space. So it's just something that even if it's unintentional, it happens because there's no one questioning it or saying, hey, why did we do that? Or can we switch it up? It just happens to be, you know, a lack of female representation, perhaps like issue that's perpetuated. I thought it was hilarious. And then yes, the Red Hulk thing, I think your Todd theory might be right. I don't know. They're teasing it. So I'm I'm very curious. but yeah, that whole fourth, they really break the fourth wall a lot. I hated it at first. I don't know if it's growing on me, but it does help the plot progression. Yeah, I agree. So let's uh, let's wrap this up and go to the gala. Oh my God, I cringed through the whole thing. Uh, well, any, anything up until the MC starts taking over uh, as she walks in. I know we had, the again, the product placement uh, yep. that, that was there. What, what's the designer? I, I'm not a fashion guy, so I might completely mispronounce the name, but it's, uh, Zuhair Murad, I believe. Uh, yeah. Lebanese designer. He's like a big deal. Um, and I thought the whole collab thing was interesting. Uh, there's obviously some deal that happened there for that to be there. Um, but you're right. It somehow magically appeared in a day. Mm. With a collab with another designer. So that's very interesting. And then after the dress is showed, which was a great dress, Todd is somehow there talking to Holloway, which I was like, why is Todd everywhere? I think they're definitely hinting that he's the big bad. Or he's a part of it. Yeah, or a part of it. There's, you know, he's definitely not a good guy. I think we'll probably, well, we'll have to learn on the the next episode because that's it. Um, it's <laughs> all we got for this. Yeah, it's season. all we got for for this. <laughs> all right, so I want to talk about the female lawyer of the year award, and one that and and when I saw it a couple of episodes ago, where Nikki holds the phone up and said, "Oh, uh, Jen, you're being you, you've been nominated as female lawyer of the year," just that phrase did not sound right to me. Yeah, that's the joke. And, it's awful. and yeah, and so uh, again, I think this is this is the writers of the show pointing toward the you know just the terrible misogynistic public that that's out there. I looked, and every time that I've seen an award that is specifically given to a woman, it is woman. You know the the the, the phrase is woman lawyer of the year, not or woman in law, or, or women, yeah, women in law, woman in law. Um, it's not the the phrase female is in of itself just kind of used, uh, you know, it, I think in more more as a derogatory term 
in that context. I mean, I tried to see, is there any award where it says female? I couldn't find one. No, I so, would hope not. I, I mean, would hope not, too. Hopefully so, it's but, just lawyer awards. But yeah, yeah, I've seen women in law, the like, yeah. like you said. One thing, the internet told me this. I don't actually know if this. I would love for someone to confirm. Um, I believe the other lawyers on stage, other than She-Hulk and Mallory, are actual female attorneys. And that's why oh. they named them by name. Oh, really? Yes, which I thought was very fun. If only they had consulted on the show previously, so things would be slightly more realistic. But still, once again, another gold star. A gold star for potentially including real attorneys on the stage and for them being in on the joke of just how ridiculous the whole event is. How ridiculous the whole thing. Of course, the, the, the initial weird, awful, terrible thing was that... Jen gets announced as the winner, but then everyone else who was nominated also gets announced yep. as a winner. The man, of course, who is hosting the award ceremony, I mean, just the, the insults just keep coming. So he <laughs> he the introductions are that these are women who do everything a regular lawyer does only backwards and in high heels, which, of course, is the, the takeoff from Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire saying that, you know, everyone talks about Fred Astaire being a great dancer. But Ginger Rogers has to do everything he does only backwards and in, in heels. Um, but, you know, for that, that's that was her kind of raising her profile. This is not. And so <laughs> uh, right. and then and then, of course, the first question is. What's it like being a female lawyer? And and I I thought Mallory Book gave a, a very good answer to that, which was it's twice the work, it's half the recognition, and you're constantly being asked things like, What's it like being a female lawyer? So I you know, again Or Mallory, are you the court reporter or are you a paralegal? My personal favorites in yeah. my legal career. Uh, yeah, I, I imagine, or or you're not allowed in here, and you know, unless you're with your attorney, because um, obviously you can't be the attorney. You hear these stories all the time. Jen actually kind of, you know, I think she's just in the moment, happy to, happy to be there, and wants to take the time to thank her friends and family, and starts, and then of course, you know, the whole thing goes to hell. Um, the because, whole thing just gets worse for her very uh, quickly. Oh, it's so awful. So turns out that Too Good to Be True Josh downloaded and all the information off of her phone. The intelligentsia uh, starts displaying it up on the, the big screen behind her. And then Too Good to Be True Josh really becomes awful, awful, awful Josh because apparently he had filmed their romantic tryst together, their tryst together. And so we had talked earlier in uh, episodes about if this is going to be about revenge porn when there was definitely cameras around Jen that, that were being shown. Um, right. And, you know, a, a real, real issue out there. And, you know, with this being publicly displayed in front of the audience, in front of her boss, in front of her friends, in front of her family. And the legal community. And being told, you know, but on the loudspeaker that, you know, she doesn't deserve to, to be the Hulk. You know, she's an awful person. And then, you know, she's a slut. Here, let me show you. And then they show the that scene. Right. Um, 
And, and so I don't, I don't know. It's, uh, what, what were your thoughts on what, what was going on there? So I'll go into the kind of the awfulness of kind of what the intelligentsia put up on the big screen. But my first thought was it was so interesting that she mentioned in the fourth wall that, you know, am I going to be fridged? And yes, she wasn't traditionally fridged, but in a way she was kind of like, I don't know, her soul was killed publicly as a motivator for her to fight back. So it was kind of a weird juxtaposition of like them turning it on its head and kind of bringing in this kind of modern issue that's facing a lot of women today. She is in L.A., so just legally, um, it is a criminal offense in L.A. I think it's a misdemeanor, so it doesn't, like, criminally doesn't carry a ton of weight. Oh, my God. Um, But I think the elements, as long as she can prove that it wasn't consensual, which I'm pretty sure we can tell Josh did not tell her from what we Mm. saw, you know, in any way, shape, or form, that she definitely could pursue that because the standard is causes serious emotional distress. So it's not the IIED. It's, like, something she definitely can prove in this case. It's very public, awful. Mm. Also, right after this, they cut to her boss. So I think that shows we're going to have some type of professional repercussions. So she can definitely seek civil damages if, I mean, she's detained. We'll get to that. So I don't know (laughs) if she'll have the opportunity. And then also, like, typically you can file, like, harassment claims or unauthorized use of someone else's device depending on how he got it. Because if I recall, he also downloaded a lot of things from her phone. So it's unclear if her phone was used, if another device was used, kind of where that content lives would go into any like copyright claims or unauthorized use of someone's property, things like that. California is one of the few states where you can prosecute someone criminally, but still, like I said, it's a misdemeanor. So it's not even that crazy. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like a fine and you could technically have jail time. The sentencing is multiplied if it's like really egregious or you've done it multiple times, but like Really, it's a slap on the wrist. So it's awful. And then to me, the most like gut-wrenching part of this was like, yes, she fought back. Yes, she's she Hulk. She caused a lot of property damage. But she's annihilated publicly. And then she's the one being detained outside. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was like, this poor girl. Yeah. The, let, me, let me ask you this. The, do you think that there's any defense that she has with – tearing down the the video screen to stop people from seeing it to, I mean the the damage that she does I mean it seems like if I you know if, if anyone had the power to do it they would do it that that's just absolutely a, I yeah. think it would reasonably follow I don't know because it wouldn't I don't know who would sue her it gets complicated with like who yeah. would be filing claims and uh, yeah, yeah I'm guessing but the, the the Wilkshire uh event place that they're whatever that they're ballroom at. they were yeah. in well and 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 they definitely could sue her for the hole she blasts in the in the oh uh, yeah yeah and like you i know it's i know it has good effect but let's hope jen, they have event insurance yeah jen jen go go <laughs> use go go use the door um yes. but uh so she goes outside and it's really really interesting because the department of damage control is already already mobilized yeah and uh so it's almost as if they knew this was going to go down and then they let the guy from the intelligentsia just walk by and they detain her and so that's kind of where we we end up i know she kind of and i couldn't tell if this was a breaking the fourth wall or if she was looking at something else but right at the very end she kind of moves to her right and she looks and it looks to me like she's not looking at the camera, but past the camera, but it could just be right. bad CGI. Um, True. So, <laughs> you never know. So I, I don't know what she was looking at. Maybe we'll we'll find out in, in the last episode. So um, 
any final thoughts? I mean, we're kind of, I mean, we're ready for the finale now. I'm, I, I'm really Very excited. ready. I guess my final question is, I don't know if you want to give it away, but just to tease, like, who is your number one contender for the big <sighs> bad guy? Well, you know, we, we are, I mean, it's, it, everything points to Todd, but then the the one you know I'm also not really sure about the uh, about abomination. I know, um, and he kind so, of disappeared this episode. Yeah, and and so I mean, is he doing something on on the back end? I hope not, because I really like this new character. You know, this Tim Roth character. It's very entertaining. That, yeah, the whole wellness retreat thing. Exactly, but he did. You know, we didn't see the. Uh, the, the seven soulmates. Uh, so, you know, he is, he has already kind of, you know, uh, screwed seven women over apparently. So we'll, we'll see, uh, what it is, but I would, I don't know. It's too, it seems too obvious that it's, that it's Todd. Right. Um, and so I, I, I don't know what, what is your guess? I've thought Todd throughout, now that we're at the end, I feel like somehow Holloway is in cahoots or pulling the strings of a lot of things. Because now looking back, like, I know you guys talked about this, but it's not every day that a law partner offers you the head of a division in a bar. You know, going back, like, that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Like, Jen Walters is a great gal, but, like, that's a bit of a stretch. So what was this master plan that we're going to see finally unfold I feel like he's somehow a part of it, or if he's not a part of it, he's kind of leading us mm-hmm. to who is. In- and then the intelligentsia thing is so hard because in the comics, you know that they're such a vibrant force, but I don't know if they're going to completely follow the comics exactly or if yeah. they're going to kind of branch off slightly, make a modern interpretation. So it's hard to kind of know also what they're going to cover in one episode. It's not another season. There's a lot of source material to yeah. know exactly where they're going to jump. Yeah. Next. And these are not long episodes. So it's, no. Uh, and one of the things with, with uh, Holloway in the comics is much more, uh, I mean, he's a much nicer character in the comics than he is in the, uh, he's much more of a mentor uh, in the, in the comics than he is here. But uh, yeah, he's kind of a, you know, I don't, I don't know, two, you know, very two dimensional character seems like in in this show we will see we will see well ashley carlisle i i appreciate you taking the time stepping in this week and talking with me i want you back next week because i still want to hit you with the the awful marketing question uh, uh, that <laughs> is going on at, yeah of glk and h if you were the cmo of glk and h what would you do differently um and and it might be well, I want to hire Nikki full time because she's great. Or uh, you know, I want to make sure Nikki never ever gives marketing advice uh, <laughs> <laughs> ever again. But uh, they or gets a raise. Like, yeah, exactly. So, um, and I know from my aspect that we did not see enough of the law library. Maybe maybe next week we can see more That's of the law point. library. That's a great point. Or yeah. even the use of legal research. Yeah. I think we've only seen a random to-do list and some case management software yeah. and then the pleading on the screen. We yeah, haven't seen any of the real life stuff. It's been mostly Microsoft Office, which... Which is very, very representative. Real. Yeah, that's true. So, all right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, until next week, everyone stay super. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks. Lawyer Show. <laughs>